So we're going to finish off this uh, series today by looking at one of the classic stories in the Bible. I've talked about it a couple of times or a number of times over the last 14 years since Crossroads has been going. And it's, it's one of the stories that is a hallmark story that was read earlier. It's actually the longest story that Jesus ever told. It, it, it's an idea, perspective of how important this is to Him. And it also identifies with the core character qualities of God. This is not a true story. It didn't happen, but it could have happened. And it and it portrays exactly the kind of God I'm trying to get more in touch with. A God who doesn't hold out on me. A God who doesn't wait for me to hit certain marks until He loves me or forgives me. An amazing God. Jesus was always getting criticized. Always, specifically, by the religious people. By the people who, who were proud of their own accomplishments, proud of their own spirituality. And they were always coming down on Him. And one of the common criticisms they level against Him comes in Luke 15 where they say this to Him. They say, no, tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. This man actually lavishes his presence with people who, quote, unquote, are not worthy. You know, I don't know what your spiritual orientation is in here today. I don't know what you believe, what your thoughts are. I'm excited about crossroads because there's so many people who have different perspectives and different orientations. And I'm just asking you to open yourself up to a story you may not have ever heard before or might have heard before, but it hasn't sunk in. And to do that, you have to understand that Jesus was not accepted by churchgoers. He was not accepted by people who were great keepers of the Ten Commandments. These people who were ardent religious people who kept all the rules, saw the people he was hanging out with, and they said, you have a major problem. How could you do this? These people haven't earned to be around a person who seemingly is as good as you. It's amazing that no matter what you think about God, no matter what your spiritual orientation is, nobody is down on Jesus. Everybody's great with Jesus. Good teacher, good lover, you know, interpreted the right way. People just think he's a great guy. Now, when people talk about the God of the Bible, it's a whole different perspective. Many people think, oh, that's an ordinary God, a bad God, a vindictive God. Jesus identifies himself as that God in and of the flesh. He says this in the book of John, chapter 15, verse 9. He says, whenever you see me, you've seen the Father. He says, you want to know what God's personality is like? Right here. Look at my personality. You want to know what God in heaven, the God who's in the Bible, does and thinks about? Look at what I do and think about. You want to know what he is like? Look at me. I am God in the flesh. God come and taking on skin and bone to dummy proof it for you, to show you that this is what God is like. And so the religious people, what they're really having a hard time with, it's not just Jesus. They're having a hard time understanding that there is a God that lavishes grace, lavishes love on people who don't deserve it, lavishes grace on people who aren't trying to earn it. A great book that uh, you know, talks about this story, the prodigal son better than any I've ever known. It's called Prodigal God by Tim Keller. one of my favorite uh, preachers I listen to regularly. And here's what he says. I think it's interesting in this book. He says this. Many lifelong Christian believers feel they understand the basics of the Christian faith quite well and don't think they need a primer. Nevertheless, one of the signs that you may not grasp the unique radical nature of the gospel is that you are certain that you do. Gospel is Good news. You don't have to earn it. 
You don't have to impress God. You don't have to clean yourself up. This is deep. This is rich. It, 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 it transcends our understanding. It does. I, I continue to be confounded with the character of God because it's not like my character that wants you to do things the way I want them to do. And this younger son decides that he doesn't like the way of his father. His father represents God. There's three characters in the story. All of them are given about the same equal amount of space. There's the younger brother, there is the father, and there is the older brother. The younger brother says to his father, who represents God, says, I, I really would rather not be around you right now, and I would rather have my inheritance that I'm going to get in the future when you die. Can I have my inheritance right now? Because being around you is just not all that fun. I need to go out and experience real, real fun. Imagine what that would be like if you were a father, if you were a mother, if your child came, came to you and said, hey, I'd like my early inheritance. Can I have an early inheritance? What they're basically saying to you is, I don't really care about your presence. When I see you, I see dollar signs. When I see you, I see future possibilities, but I'm not really enjoying the relationship. It was even worse in ancient cultures. To ask for this would be to say to the dad, I wish you were dead. You are dead to me. Now, I don't know about you, but my, parent, my kids said that to me. Uh, I would not react in a lavish way that this father does. <laughs> he says, hey, if you'd like your share of the inheritance, that's fine. He gives, him, gives it to him, and away he goes. See, all of us are like this younger brother. Right now, all of us are younger brothers right now, or all of us have been younger brothers. And if you are not right now, or you don't think you ever have been, you are the worst of an older brother I'm going to get to in a moment. <laughs> all of us at one time or right now, feel like God is holding out on us. The closer I get to God, the yes, enjoy it, less enjoyable my life will be. The more conformed to God's standards that I become, the less true happiness that I'll find. And we think I need to just kind of go out there and experience life while I'm youthful and vivacious and I'll maybe make some deathbed conversion or something like that. But man, right now, I have too many opportunities for fun to be around God right now. And that's what younger brothers do. They think there's no way a fulfilling life could happen in my father's presence, and they take off. And as this younger brother goes out, he uh, blows his money on wine, women, and song. He spends all of his inheritance. He finds himself feeding pigs, which in that culture was the worst thing you could possibly do. This is the Jewish culture. And pigs are uh, unkosher food. And still many devout Jews still follow the kosher dietary laws. And in this culture, it was extremely bad to be helping pigs to survive because pigs were the lowest of the low food chain. I mean, I really feel for these old Jews that had a hard time with bacon. I mean, I, you know, that's, that's just a hard deal, man, you know. But I don't care what it is. Bacon makes it better. I don't care if it's, I don't care if it's bacon-wrapped shrimp, bacon-wrapped popcorn, bacon-wrapped beer. It doesn't matter. I mean, it is, it is just good. But to the Jews, these are, these are just awful creatures. Just stay away from these creatures. Well, this guy is feeding pigs. He's not just doing manual labor. He is doing the least of the worst manual labor. He was doing a, a ceremonially unclean thing, and he's so hungry that he looks at these pigs. He wishes he was a pig because the pigs had pods that were being fed to them. He says, this is ridiculous. I'm wanting pods from a from a pig. I'll just go back to my dad and fair is fair. I'll just ask my dad if I can just go back and work for him because there at least I'll get an honest wage and I won't have to long for the pods that I'm feeding to pigs. The light bulb goes off. He says this, verse 19. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He feels like he's forfeited the ability 
to be loved by his dad. He's forfeited the ability for his dad to give him any kindness. He's thinking, certainly my dad isn't that kind. Certainly my dad would never accept me back. I'm not worthy. Just treat me like a hired servant and that would be good with me. This is when young sons start to get their senses. They start to realize that I've blown it. I don't impress God. But where their outage is, is we think that now I have to earn my way back to God versus come back into the awareness that God is a lavish God that overflows goodness and is not waiting for me to, to hit my marks. And this younger brother starts coming home and we get this picture of this father. It's as if he's scanning the horizon looking for his son. And as he sees a figure that's far off that he can't even see the facial figures, it doesn't matter, the facial features, it doesn't matter. He knows the walk, the gait of his son. You know, uh, if I go to one of my son's football games, it doesn't matter if he's got full gear on and I don't know his number, I can tell the way my son walks. You just know. When my daughter's playing tennis, I don't care if they're six or eight courts down and I can't see the, I can tell by the forehand. I can tell by the forehand that this is the way parents are. This is the way God is. God notices you. He understands you better than you can ever imagine. And he's looking on the horizon, looking for some sign of wanting to have a relationship. And when this father sees his son way off in the distance, he runs. He runs. He takes his garment. He tucks it up inside of himself. And he takes off running. It says this in Luke 15, 20. It says, while he was still a long way off, his father Solomon was filled with compassion for him. Filled with compassion. His son hasn't done anything. He hasn't earned his approval, but his lavish compassion overflows. Filled with compassion, he runs to his sons, throws his arm around him, and kisses him. The son hasn't said, I'm sorry. The son hasn't given him a, a, a job proposal, how to work himself back. He's just there. He is, and his father overflows with blessing. This is an entirely crazy view of God. This is a view of God that the Pharisees and the religious types will not understand because they feel good about their relationship with God because they've been hitting their marks. They feel good because they've been doing the right things and staying away from the wrong things. People say that all religions, all spiritualities are the same. I think, oh man, I, I just grieve for you. I, I really don't want to win arguments any longer. Not that I ever did win a lot of arguments. I'm not, I'm not all, all that great of a debater. But I just hurt when I hear many of us say that because it shows there's a depth that, to God's love for you that you really don't understand. In the, uh, in the Buddhist version of this, there's a number of these stories that are played out various ways through various religions' scriptures. In the Buddhist scriptures, look at this piece, piece of the story. It says this. His father, beholding the son, was struck with compassion for him. One day he saw at a distance through the window his son's figure, haggard and drawn, lean and sorrowful, filthy with dirt and dust. He took off his strings of jewels, his soft attire, put on a coarse, torn, and dirty garment, smeared his body with dust, took a basket in his right hand, and with an appearance fear-inspiring, said to the laborers, get on with your work, don't be lazy. By such means he got near to his son, to whom he afterwards said, I, my man, you stay and work here. Do not leave again. I will increase your wages. Give whatever you need, bowls, rice, wheat, flour, salt, vinegar, and so on. So, 
This father treats his son fairly. You went away from me. You took the money. I'll treat you fairly. I'll give you a wage if you kind of hit your marks. This is not the image we see at all of the father of the God in this, uh, Jesus' version. This is a God that says, you haven't done anything. Have you done nothing yet? Yet, I'm going to take off my finger. He st- my, my finger. My, my ring. Take my ring. I'm going to put it on your finger. This is signet ring. The signet ring was what you would use to press your seal and wax. It, it represented your wealth. You know, I have a ring. It represents that I'm not actually owned by myself. I'm owned uh, by Libby. I am one with her. That's what a wedding ring means. And to have the ring meant that your identity, your identity was was your father. Puts a ring on him, representing wealth. He sees he has no shoes. He's either worn through his shoes or he sold them to try to make ends meet. So he said, no, no son of mine is not going to have shoes. Get some sandals. Put them on his feet. Put them on his feet. And that fatted calf, let's kill the fatted calf because tonight we party hardy. It's great. They've been waiting for this calf, calf, fattening it up for some party in the future. And the dad says, now's the time. Now this son of mine that was lost is now found. We are going to lavish a great party in his honor. Great party in his honor? Well, he hasn't done anything. Yes, but the father is doing something. He is lavishing over his natural presence because that's the kind of God that he does. Three ideas here. What do you do when you're a younger son? You simply receive the best. You receive the best. You don't try to earn your way back to God. You don't try to prove to God that you're worthy. You, you don't try to do some sort of penance to make up for bad things or to do more good things to even the scales. You, you receive. You receive the lavish presence. This doesn't mean that you receive the ability to have a new Mercedes Benz every year like televangelists with white belts would tell you. It just means that you, you have the ability to... Uh, though that there are, are attributes of God that are naturally going to come on and around you because He is a God that is not cheap and does not hold out on you. Receive the best. And if you've never, if you've never seen yourself as a lost younger brother, I'm sorry to tell you, you really have no clue who God is. You just don't. If you've never seen yourself as a person that's wandered away and has gone out on your own, there is a delusional influence that's on your life. God's just not impressed with your activities. He's just not. All of us either are right now or have been at one time younger sons that stiff-armed God and said, I'm going my way. I think my ideas are better than your ideas. And when you start to come back to your spiritual senses, you receive the best. You don't impress anybody with what you're doing. You, you simply receive the best. Now, uh, as this is happening, the older brothers in our midst right now are having a hard time with us right now. The older brothers are the Pharisees. The older brothers are those who are um, very impressed by their altruistic activities, very impressed by their abilities to, you know, not smoke, not chew, not date the girls who do. They're, they're very um, <laughs> impressed about how they've been able to keep the rules, honor God, do the right things. And this is what happens with this younger brother. This younger brother sees this lavish display of love and he just comes unglued. He, he can't handle it all. He's like, a, he's like a human storm cloud. You ever meet people like this? They're like human storm clouds. Whenever they come in the room, the barometric pressure just drops. You know, they don't bring good news with them. They bring the news of there's a way you should be behaving and I'm here to model it for you. You know, they, they, they don't bring life to the party like Jesus did. They, they just bring bad news. They bring the news that says, if you do X, Y, Z, then I will approve of you and you can be my friend. This is what this older brother is like. And he is beside himself with anger. He cannot believe the lavish display of affection 
that this younger brother of his is getting. Let's look at actually what he says in a, in a bit more depth. He says to his dad, he says, all these years I've been slaving for you. Slaving for you. He doesn't say, all these years I've been enjoying your presence. All these years I've had the opportunity to get to know deeper aspects of your personality because I've been steadfast being around you. He doesn't say, all these years I've been able to enjoy the things that you do for me. No, no, no. His diligence has to him been slavery. All these years I've been tithing. All these years I've been parking cars while people flip me off. All these years, all these years I've been giving my fair share to United Way. All these years I've been staying away from all the weird stuff on cable I shouldn't be watching. All these years I've been slaving for you. This is what, this, this is what older brothers do. Older brothers, at the end of the day, they are very diligent in being faithful, but there's really no joy. There's no joy. There's no sense of overwhelming the overwhelming nature of a God that includes them in the work. I'm slaving for you, working my fingers to the bone, says to his dad. But this son of yours, <laughs> I love that. it doesn't say this, my little brother, this, my fellow human being, this, somebody else who's created in the image of God, this son of yours, complete detachment, complete withdrawal, from the difficulties of, of the younger brother. This is what happens with older brothers. There's just a lack of grace you'll be able to give anybody. Someone doesn't vote the way you do, lack of grace. Somebody doesn't have the same beliefs as you. Somebody doesn't have the same parenting strategies. Somebody doesn't have the same uh, convictions about drinking. Somebody doesn't have the same convictions about... You know, it's, it's, it, that, that, those people over there, it's the classic idea of the holy huddle, which is not so bad to be in a holy huddle, so much as what the next step is, is lobbing hand grenades to people who are outside of your little huddle. Those people over there, that person who looks different, who listens to different music, or with no sense of grace. Older brothers are impressed with their faithfulness, impressed with these things, and they can't see themselves having anything in common with people. And he goes on, he also says this. He says, he squandered your property with prostitutes. So now this person's history has now become his identity. He doesn't say, hey, he doesn't identify him as the kid I used to play hide-and-go-seek with. He's not identified as, as, as the younger one. He's identified as the one who squandered property with prostitutes. One of the marks that you're a younger brother is anytime you, or that you're an older brother is anytime you look at somebody who has had problems in the past, you always identify them that way. They're forever identified as the person who got a divorce, forever identified as the alcoholic, forever identified as the person who ripped my heart out, forever identified as, as the person who, you just go on and on, whatever it is, because that's who they are. Their identity is tied up in what their previous problems was or their previous behaviors or even their current behaviors. What older brothers do, it's sort of like a fuel that makes them feel better about themselves. And he finally also says to them, you kill the fatted calf for him? The fatted calf for him? We get this image, this calf has just been sitting around being stuffed corn, corn-fed calf, because they're just ready for some blowout keg party someday, and this is going to be the main meal. And you get the, the picture that this older brother had to have been thinking, yeah, someday there's going to be a party, and my honor, yes there is, because I am darn good if I don't say so myself. He's saying if there's anybody who is due to be celebrated, it would be me. Moi, right here. 
And now this calf that's just been a constant reminder that there's a great party coming. This ties so, so well to what we talked about last week with the pleasure message. By the way, I find out that so few of us understand pleasure because few of us understood how to use kazoos. I had people come up to me afterwards saying, man, my kazoo wouldn't work. I kept blowing and blowing. Dude, you, you hum into a kazoo. You hum. Man, you've so lost the art of play, you can't even be a kindergartner anymore. You hum into a kazoo, not blow into a kazoo, hum. But nonetheless, this calf has been a sign that there is great pleasure coming and the fatted calf is given in honor of the person who, according to the older brother, hasn't deserved it, hasn't earned it, hasn't hit his marks. I understand younger brothers. I understand older brothers. I've been a younger brother. I've gone away from God. I've stiff-armed God. I still have younger brother tendencies today. I've had major issues in my life. I've all kinds of things I'm embarrassed about. I'll name a few for you. Cheating on high school, high school exams, being caught and blowing up my biology teacher's mailbox with M80s. I've uh, <laughs> cheating, in, cheating in seminary on a reading log that I didn't. That I said I read, read more than I didn't. And uh, in high school, going to a party and having a little uh, go around with, uh, with a girl and telling my friends I did something with her or she did something to me that she actually didn't do and trashing her reputation through high school. I've, uh, I've, I've, I've thought ill of people. I mean, I go on and on and on. I, I have major younger brother tendencies. And so when I think of God's grace to me, I think, oh, you are kidding me. Wow. And I also have older brother tendencies. I am a physical older brother. And... I have extra enticement to do good things because I'm paid to be good. I'm a pastor. And so I, I tend to have extra incentive to keep away from certain things or do some right things. And so therefore, I have the capacity to feel that I'm all high on myself. And aren't I impressive the things I'm doing? Very bad, very, very destructive. And I've been burned by older brothers. See, older brothers never assume the best in you. They never assume the best. Never assume the best. But when you are under the lavish grace of God, you are willing to assume the best in somebody. You hear a piece of the story and you assume, well, there's another piece of the story that I haven't heard. You find that somebody's in need and you assume the best. You find that, you assume that something else they had to put their money towards. They didn't squander it, but you want to help them out financially. You assume the best. Older brothers never assume the best. They always assume the worst. They, they, they know, they know they, and think that it's, it's their role to find what's wrong with people and declare it. No, it's not. It's your role to live under the lavish grace and presence of God. I've been burned by older brothers who didn't assume the best and gave me the best. You know, some of Libby and I's most painful, painful times were in a previous church we were part of in Pittsburgh. When we lost our house uh, to a fire and all we had was our walk running out was two kids and my underwear on backwards. That's all we had running out of that house. And, and because uh, we didn't feel like we could afford it, we took a gamble. We decided not to get renter's insurance. And so here we were having nothing. And many of our friends lavished grace on us and bought us possessions, bought us sweaters, bought us things that we had, had lost. And older brothers who were also friends of ours, older brothers were very disturbed by this. This that we heard things like, you know what? You made your bed, now you have to lie in it. You weren't responsible enough to set aside money for renter's insurance. So this is just not fair. This is not just. There's other people who are in hard ways that they, you know, they have renter's insurance and they should be getting this stuff. We had all kinds of people giving us bitterness and angst because friends were stepping up. These are people who we did count as our friends, but they're older brothers. See, older brothers never can celebrate with anybody. Because the fatted calf should always be going to you. Because you're just so darn good, aren't you? And older brothers just suck the life out of rooms. 
and actually their own life is being sucked out of them. There's no love. There's no joy. I love that baptism video. Did you notice how many people had brought people into the water? How many people had brought people to the lavish presence of God? I've just noticed around Crossroads now for 14 years, the, the, the most passionate good news bearers are the newest people. In fact, the, the, the more fresh you are in your relationship with Jesus, the more passionate you are to include other people. And the longer you've been around here or the longer you've known Jesus, you know, the less heart you have for people who are not understanding that lavish grace of His. When's the last time that you just got completely heartbroken because a friend of yours was just in a hurting way? When's the last time you go on cloud nine because you saw from the things that you were doing a friend of yours came into the abundant provision that Jesus offers. See, older brothers rarely see that because for them, life with God has devolved into doing the right things and staying away from the wrong things. Jesus is uh, really coming down on these Pharisees because they're realizing they're, they're, they're missing the entire point. See, older brothers in ancient civilizations or even today's civilizations, older brothers should go after younger brothers. This was uh, seen during the Vietnam War in Life magazine, <clears throat> on the cover of Time Life magazine, Life magazine rather, this before the 80s and corporate takeovers. Before uh, Life magazine, uh, Julie Andrews here, remember her from uh, Sound of Music? The hills are alive with the sound of music. Ah. <laughs> Let's try that again. Let's try that again. Hey, help me out with this. The hills are alive with the sound of music. That was bad. That was really bad. There he is, a little perky, uh, cutesy uh, Julie uh, Andrews. And look at this top little uh, headline, Perilous Search for a Lost Brother. This is a true story. Daniel Dawson was with the Air Force and his plane went down somewhere behind the Viet Cong lines. And his brother, Donald Dawson, went in search of him. And news spread throughout the entire Viet Cong that there was a person come to be known as the brother. The brother that was going after his lost brother. And they actually did him no harm and they let him do his business because in that Eastern culture they understood that good older brothers were supposed to go after younger brothers. He came to be known as the brother. This is what every good older brother does. It's what every person who's close to God, living in the lavish presence of the Father, they, 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 they view other people as in need and they go after them. And what, this is why Jesus is referred to in the Bible as, in the book of Colossians, the firstborn among creation. He's the eldest brother. He's the firstborn among creation. This is why Jesus also says of himself, the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. God himself, the eldest brother, the Father himself, the good eldest brother, the Father himself who goes after his children that are never far from his love, maybe far from his presence because of choices that many may make, but never far from his mind, never far from his presence. He's a good brother. He's a great older brother. And what does God do for us? The same thing that I do when I'm living in the lavish presence of God. I give my best. We give our best. Sometimes uh, I, I have friends in my life that don't make the religious grade, whatever the heck that is. I have all kinds of uh, genuine friends that, uh, you know, I, I could be accused of spending time with the wrong crowd. Um, from time to time, genuine friends of mine. And what does it mean for me to give, my, give the best, give the best of God's lavish love? Well, it normally means kind of a two-step process. One is because I love my friends, 
uh, I may say to them, this, this behavior that you're exhibiting, gosh, it's just, it's just not good. You're going to get hurt. Um, it's going to drive you further away from, from God. It's just not going to end well. This is just not good. Now, giving my best means lovingly communicating that reality. And then oftentimes it's not listened to. It's not adhered to at all. It's ignored. And then I've said this. I said, hey, you know that this is my thoughts on how this is not good. I want you to know I'm not going to give you truth in that area any longer. I'm going to give you grace. I'm not going to speak to that area ever again. And you are my friend. I am going to give. I, that's a sense of lavish grace, giving our best. What would it be like for you to live in the reality of being a younger son and a great older son? What would it be like for you to recapture, recapture or capture for the first time the understanding that you are a wayward child, have been or are right now. I love that verse that we sung earlier. Prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. That's me. I am prone to wander. What would it be like for us to recapture the reality of our lost son likeness? And see how just there's a father who runs after us. And for us to live in the awareness of being a great older brother who doesn't slave for God, but looks at as I've been faithful and enjoying your presence and I am longing to go after people because I can't wait for them to taste the flavors that I'm tasting right now. God, that's what I'm praying. As we conclude this series, freshness, fresh amazement at you and your grace.